0: Hello! Thanks for checking out today's Foot in Review. We couldn't make this show without you and your fantastic support, but if you fancy going one step further, why not check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash review. We offer a range of rewards and benefits with all levels receiving Discord access and episodes of the show without this very advertisement. However, we understand that times are tough, and if you can't back us financially, then simply spreading word of the show or leaving us a review wherever you listen will be super appreciated as it will help us grow. In particular, we'd like to thank our Skybox holders, Mehdi, Nick, Artium, Paul and Daniel for their exceptional support.
1: Hello foodies and welcome back to Foot in review powered by foodcoaching.com today we are recording episode 503 my name is John, and i'll be your host today and joining me today is food coaching She from the uk the director of food coaching uk i always like to say it's none other than mr aaron blue hello john welcome back my friend how are you doing
0: good thank you yeah good nice to be on the show
1: It's good to have you, and let me start before introducing our special guest for tonight by explaining a little bit about episode 500. We did have it scheduled to be the special episode to celebrate 500 show, of course, but unfortunately, I fell ill with bronchitis, and the team didn't want to record that special episode without me, so it's currently being recorded and produced, but because we wanted to be like the best celebration show we've ever done. We have it done and we're late already. We'll take our time and we're not going to do it very rushed. So, you suddenly see the 500th episode appear in between, uh, but this is so officially 503. So, now it's time for us to introduce our guest. We're not going to do any content discussion on tonight's show because we have someone with us whose job is to manage a national esports team. and. Well, specifically the national team of Belgium, and we had the pleasure to work with him and his team with foot coaching. It's my pleasure to introduce you all to the coordinator for esports from the Royal Football, Royal, Royal Belgium Football Association, I should say. It's none other than Michael van der Heijden. And because of our international listeners, I'm just going to call you Michael. Hi, Michael.
2: Hey, Michael is fine for me. <laughs> so, Welcome on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good.
1: You? It's uh it's good yeah it's good to have you on and doing something uh um not only fully on performances <laughs> together it's yeah. fun to do is like some entertainment as well so it's good to have you and Michael for everyone that doesn't know you can you give us a little bit of an
2: introduction? Um, so my job is esports coordinator at the Royal Belgian Football Association. Um, so that includes everything with the national team as far as like eNations goes um we're working on an academy as well everything with grassroots is involved for me as well um for no one-man team and uh, that's how it's always starts with uh, the federations um so i do everything that's related to esports and i have some other functionalities that are linked with the Red devils and the flames but that's like five percent of my job uh just to do some smaller things here can you name some of those smaller things just it's curiosity? just like something like leadboarding uh during the games that the right LED boarding is uh played that partner logos are visible everywhere in the stadium where they need to be so it's more like partner activations at games and partner communication
1: it's uh, awesome it's, it's awesome to see of course we've worked together or we are working together actually uh when e-nations are on Uh, And something, I'm totally impressed by the facility you've got, the tools you've got, the team you have at your disposal. Um, Can you tell the people a little bit about how professional you guys are actually taking this?
2: Yeah, uh, we always hear the discussion, like, is esports a sport? i think that's one of the most (laughs) asked question about esports so we're not really going into that discussion but we embrace esports as a sport for us so we're going to give it the same possibilities as the national team uh, the women's or the men's or futsal we have um, beach uh, soccer as well all that uh, kind of stuff So we want to embrace esports the same. And that's with a mental coach. That's with um, you guys for analyzing stuff. Uh, We have the software to make the the analyzers ourselves for academy for pro players. So we're doing a lot of scouting. We're doing a lot to make our esports team as strong as possible. And that's a project we're now doing for like almost one and a half years. that we invested a lot of money into it. And it's starting to show off right now, but like we said, it's it's costing a lot of money, and I don't think like all the federations have the same possibilities. Uh, and some federations, I think, it's just you have to be honored that you can play for the federation, and that's it. Um, but we're spending each game week of E Nations with broadcasting. It's like around 10k that we spend on on our esports program.
1: Yeah, uh, that's brilliant and that shows not only of course that we work together and but if i look at your facilities whenever we have a video call the streaming the broadcast themselves you guys got great presenters so if you really go check them out what's you can you can, we'll drop the twitch links in uh in description because whenever you play on a friday the e-nation leagues it is also broadcasted and you have a really cool ent- and entertaining but also professional producing uh, of that stream that looks really awesome
2: yeah the positive thing we have about that is like our main partner is proximus and they do the broadcasting they can bring it on television they do they do the whole show show for us so they have our sponsorship deal and a part of that is that they will do the live streams or the tv show as they do it right now and that's what it makes it more professional if you see other federations it's just a live stream with one webcam and that's it. We, we have a whole show, show and we hope to boost it a bit in that way. It looks terrific though.
1: Aaron?
0: Uh, yeah, i got a couple of questions I want to ask. It, uh, if we... <laughs> uh, so the first one is uh, grassroots. I'm interested in grassroots. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit why first and then I'll be keen to kind of understand what you see in grassroots. So I see like, pro players, esports, as the elite. Um, and what I, I think what I look at is, you know, and even all games, across all games, but let's look at FIFA, which is, which is our game we're talking about, is it's quite a jump to go from a casual, a competitive player to that level. Um, how does the grassroots investment make that pathway easier? And what are you kind of seeing from your kind of at grassroots in terms of the return on investment? And are you seeing that sort of like increase in ability and then the mindset and everything, the technical and the, and the psychological side of it, what does that sort of look like with the investment you're giving it?
1: And well, I was just interrupting there. can you also explain the term grassroots and what it is for people listening?
2: Yeah. Grassroots is actually like the base, the basic of, or esports thing. It's like where it all starts. Um, and we see grassroots not as a start for our esports team. I think we see grassroots more as how can we use FIFA to get people being a fan of everything we do at the Belgium Associ- Association. We don't do of only the Red Devils. That's, of course, the most popular thing we have. But we're also doing the refereeing for... All the, nation, all the teams in the first division in Belgium. Um, we have women's football, we have futsal, we have a lot of things. And I think grassroots needs to be a connection point between what we do as an association and the younger people. Because if we look at who's buying tickets for the Belgium Devils or for the Flames, it's mostly a, a slightly older generation that's still a fan of real-life football. But how can we include younger people to come watch and support the Red Devils, but also the eSports eventually? Not everyone who is in our grassroots project in the future is going to be an e-devil in the future. I think it's more important that they just become fan of whatever we do and that they become part of a bigger ecosystem that we have. And I think eSports is perfect in the way that we see it as like how can you motivate a 12-year-old to come and watch the game <laughs> or a 13-year-old? And I think that's where we're willing to do more activations um, options as well. In the future, we're thinking about doing uh, little tournaments all over Belgium and the winners can play against Courtois at or Basecamp, for example. And you don't need to be the best one for that. We can maybe have competitions being run all over Belgium. Um, it's still stuff we're looking into it's not something you can develop in like one year Um, but we're just wanting to have every layer, we have an academy we have our pro players but there are like so many more people that are just casually playing FIFA I have 20 friends that play pro clubs uh, a lot and they don't even know what FIFA E-Nation is for example Um, so those people are important in the long run for an esports project for us
0: so you're creating you're creating like a con, a connection to the larger organization but through something that they that they enjoy so you're taking that base level of enjoyment but you're aligning a connection to a much larger organization engagement and creating that loyalty and that relationship which will be far reaching in the future i think that for me as an outsider looking in i love that i think Looking, not that I know necessarily what all federations or you know countries or clubs are doing, but I, for me, it just seems so streamlined, so uh, and so collaborative. You're looking at everything together in one way um, to capture that that audience. I I think it's really smart and really really clever. And I guess if you unearth you know a talent within that and give them an opportunity, I guess that will bring returns as well in terms of you know performance, uh, e nations and other tournaments as well um i think that's pretty cool so my other question was at this point was how did you get into this how do you how do you build a career in this space that's quite unique um yeah i'm curious
2: yeah i think my career started like 12 years ago already in esports wow uh, when I i was like 18 ish um i can't quite remember what fifa we were playing back then but um I was always organizing in the beginning FIFA tournaments. Like just one afternoon, we were playing tournaments that someone else was running. He said, oh, I don't have time for the rest of the day. Uh, No more tournaments. And me and my friend went, ah, let's let's just organize one. And one became like over 200 tournaments, I think, online. We had a Facebook group, over 2,000, 3,000 members in it, doing daily tournaments, weekly tournaments, all that. And I just started to notice like people that were winning a lot of tournaments. Like Stefano Pina was one of them, uh, the best Belgian FIFA player that we ever had. And that was in the beginning of his career. And then I started helping him, and then I became his coach and had some amazing experiences in Atlanta, Romania, um, becoming world champion, French champion, all that stuff. So, but that was more like, I'm helping him. I get in return the nice trips and the experience, but money-wise, there was nothing really for me. But I was a student, so going to Atlanta for a week mm-hmm. free is nice, <laughs> and having all the experience. And then I made um, actually my resume for going to work for Caxi Genk. but I became second uh, just because I didn't really have had the experience they were looking at, but. It's not really experience at that point in esports, but they look someone else who has like four months at another organization has experience. And someone like me who doesn't had it, I don't have experience. So I didn't become it over there. Then I went to study esports. Uh, so I have two degrees in esports. Oh, wow. Um, and in the same year, then uh, the job opened up at the Football Association and I applied. and. They chose me and know we're here for almost, yeah, almost one and a half years so far. So
0: I, lo- I love that story. And, and I guess the reason why I'm curious and probably why I wanted listeners to potentially hear it is I think it, it, it's a next generation career. My observation in the UK is I think it's at the very early stages. Um, I think people are trying to do something. I think there's an investment or a salary around it that's not particularly great, um, and I think it probably puts some people off. But I think what I really enjoyed from working with John and hearing your story is how professional um, the esports setup is in Europe, and I think really sets the benchmark high. It just goes to show that actually, look at how you've invested in, you've taken something which is you're doing for fun, it's then become your career, um, and with the great opportunities along the way. I think it's important that people hear that and understand that esports isn't like a geeky thing that kids do in their room it's actually way more than that, uh, offers way more skills and opportunities. Um, so uh, no, that was really cool. And congratulations. Like mm-hmm. what an investment you must be. You must be proud of yourself. I think, you know, knowing where you've got to so far and there's still so much further to go as well. So it's great to see. Yeah. It's like just you the... something
2: like you said, my parents, they don't know what esports was and they were like always, Oh, why do you go to Romania? It's with a bit of time <laughs> waste, uh, Hey, shouldn't you be studying for your exams while well, I was studying something else still? So that's something that I want to adjust of Yeah, try to change in Belgium as well. Like with the Federation, we have like a bigger reach. So we could use that to organize some um info days for parents. Like what's eSports and how like everyone knows there's like esports and people that are addicted (laughs) Um, and that that line is very thin and i think if parents would understand more what it is then that would help in the long run as well like i have players that are playing for me for e-nations that sometimes will play 12 hours a day to be on their level but my little brother who's who's 13 years old he's playing 12 hours as well but he's addicted. <laughs> um, so where is the line eventually? Um, and that's why
0: I think it's interesting and I think why esports e- is still to really boom in a way that I don't think it has yet. I think it maybe shows some signs in some games, but if I look at like our game, it, it maybe hasn't. It's, it's shown potential and then there'll probably be reasons behind that. But I think it's ready for a big boom. I think it's there's a lot of players... Um, a lot of players who, with the right investment coaching analysis feedback, you know psychological support because it 's often younger players and i don 't know if they can handle the demands of being in a competitive environment so young and need that support, but I think it could be something, and I think, like as in other athletes that we 're so used to seeing, I think eSports is that um, competitive place where these are athletes, and I would refer to them as athletes um, to go to. I have a lot of respect for gamers who turn it into a profession because they uh what they can do is incredible um maybe you know like my parents or parents might look and go hang on he's playing a computer game like what's going on but it's, it's way more than that so uh no i think it's really interesting like i said like a uh, i think you, you you kind of really role modeling um how to build a career um so good for you
1: no, talk about esports and credibility though. Uh, Wimby, uh, of course, check out at Wimby86 on Twitch. He asks a question, how hard is it to establish credibility in esports? Are attitudes changing? Or do you have to fight against notions that gamers are just nerds or addicted?
2: <laughs> but it's it's a point that alwe- that already came up a few times. It's like esports it is, is it at a stage that it's not like booming even more than we, uh, we want right now. But I still think that at some top positions, there are too many people that are older and don't understand what esports is, but they still need to make the decisions about esports. It's like my, when I went to KSK, I was talking to to people over 50 years old that don't know what esports is. The first thing that they asked me is like, oh, how are we going to get international success with this? But for me, esports is first build your fan base locally and expand then. But they were looking, oh, how can we in- internationally grow? How can we make people in Spain love gaming and stuff like that? Um, so I think as long as people at the higher positions don't understand what esports is, it will be hard to get that that boost. Like I'm lucky that my boss has worked for EA. That he has worked at Dailynet, where he did the gaming <laughs> part of that job. And that he understands what esports is and that we need to invest in it. And he got the right partners. He sold the project to everyone internally. But I'm still... Like if you see my CEO, he comes walking past the esports room with some like, prime minister or something. He's like, oh, this is the esports room. Uh yeah um yeah we we play friendlies here to against other teams and then he walks best because he still doesn't really comprehend what esport is and i think there's still too many people around that doesn't know that have all the power around boosting it or not like he's one of the guys that's going to yeah decide if we get like 200k budget of 10k budget or 7 million for example um so let me know once you, you reach the
1: letter though yeah if we get <laughs> if we get to 7 million
2: then the price will change but no but that's the thing and i think that's at a lot of clubs in belgium still a problem like if we see the pro level in belgium um you have guys that can i think in belgium there are four people who can live from fifa esports then you have three four guys who have like a thousand euros or even less but you cannot live from a thousand euros and then you have still guys that play for the lower clubs and they get just some free tickets and if they ask a free ticket for a top game it's like ah that's difficult <laughs> maybe another game um so as long as you have that gap is it's going to be difficult but as long as the lower teams have the older guys in in place it doesn't that don't understand the power of esports that's not going to grow, they're not going to invest, the competition is not going to get better, and it's all a cycle in Belgium. But it's hard to have the credibility, yeah. Yeah, so we know
1: they're listening, so how can EA (laughs) help
2: you in this? But for EA it's difficult because in Belgium we have uh, FIFA points still banned, so as long as that's a problem in Belgium, EA is not going to invest a lot in that competition. We last year had a playoff spot, Uh, with our competition this year it's a play-ins spot so it's a competition they created for for before playoffs Um, so we don't even have a direct playoff spot anymore like the Netherlands have one or two and they have two play-in spots we only have two play-in spots yeah so that's where the level in Belgium is on national competition as well yeah
1: you don't see that changing as long as FIFA points are banned I suppose
2: no, but I don't that's the thing, and I think the people that are like the, the competition is not with the association of us, it's with the pro league. That's another um separate thing. I don't think the guys that are sitting there have all the knowledge, so they don't make the right moves to get the competition up as well. I think some people that are involved with that are more in it for making the money and make making some profit on it than to literally boost the competition. Like I think some esports competitions in Belgium, it's not only the FIFA one, um, but I think the League of Legends, for example, they had six big uh, fast food companies as a sponsor in the last five years. So yeah. they had, they have had all the big fast food chains already. Who are they going to be the number seven? There's no one left um, because none of the six first ones were happy with the competition eventually. But they keep selling their numbers to them.
0: So that, so that's interesting, right? So, League of Legends has always been, I think, the comparison for me around what esports could be in terms of viewership and like really getting behind teams and, and everything that comes with it. What, what, did, what, did EA, what does, what EA, what does, FIFA? I know it changed his name. Need as a game to get to that level because I, for me, FIFA represents real life football. And I enjoy, I love, enjoy watching um, like high level players play. It's like the elite, you know, it's something you then go away and you aspire to in your own game. So it's comparable to when you're your youngster playing football or even now. And you also have an affiliation to your club and a player. What what does it need to do to bridge that gap? Because it feels like it's quite vast.
2: I just think we need something like the Champions League or something like that. Uh, uh, just a high level competition where the high-level players are playing against each other all the time. Um, if you see League of Legends, everyone is looking at LEC. I have tickets to go to the, to that next this Sunday. I'm especially going to Berlin to watch those games. But I don't watch anything else. I watch LEC sometimes American competition, but everything under that doesn't get that same reach. If you see the Belgium League of Legends competition they have like 50 viewers on Twitch and 40 wow. of them are the players, uh, for, for example. Um, and they and then they get the front page of Twitch and then they have 150, but it doesn't really count. But that competition is also not that popular. And I think for FIFA, it's the same. The Belgium competition doesn't get the viewership because everyone wants to see the top level. Um, that's why I think the Flemish part in Belgium looks at e while the French part looks at the E-Ligue 1. Because I can ask all my players from the French side who's winning in, in France, and they can describe every game. But I, if I ask them oh, who's in the top four in Belgium, they probably have to guess. Um, so everyone is just going to the bigger competitions, and in Belgium we don't have the biggest ones yeah. because prize pools are not the best, play, spots are not the best. So we are going to look at E-Divisie or World Champions if Alupina is playing in the e and not in the Belgium competition for the player spot, for the prize money. Uh, that's just the only reason. And to have higher level of games as well. Like I'm not getting warm from uh, Gilles Bernard against, for example, Yellow of STVV because you know that's going to be a 5-0. Yeah, whereas
1: we were working with e the, the last couple of years. We had a top match every single week where we had to prepare for.
2: Yeah. So that's already a difference. And that's why I think the Netherlands have such a strong team for E-Nations as well, because they have 15 players that are qualifying for FGS, while we have four or five. If we're lucky, we have eight or nine, if some had some time to play and had a good run, but it's already a difference between Belgium and the Netherlands of six, seven players that are competing at the highest level individually.
0: Yeah.
1: Does FIFA points make that gap bigger? Or do you think it actually doesn't matter talent wise in this game?
2: I think it makes the gap bigger. As in, I'm always going back to Stefano and Gilles because they have a pro contracted Genk, but Cassie is giving them like 2K FIFA points, for example. Um, so that's a lot of FIFA points so they have the Mbappe the Gullit, uh the Lucio in defense while Bradley one of my academy players was maybe top three in Belgium at this point he doesn't have FIFA points so he is playing with Gold van Dijk in his defense in FGS so that difference in in team like the only one that I know that did it with a shit team in the past was Dex. Yeah. Dex once qualified with just uh, Trend Alexander, Gold1 as a right back, and Ben Yedder at, up top. But the gap is just that big. Okay, loan players are nice at this moment, but still you have a gap on the Lucios, the stuff like that. Um, and I think it should be fair if everyone has an unlocked account or everyone has all the the lone players and then you see the real ones with with talent and no one has it. because some of my players are using it as an excuse i say it's <laughs> yeah. like you cannot like some of my, yeah if i have a better team i would qualify but that's that's also bullshit in my opinion like if you have like eight the fifa's out what seven months if at this point you're still struggling with coins you're doing stuff wrong you need to trade more you need to invest your coins better that you get from like weekend leagues stuff like that um, but they still use it as an excuse yeah or get the food and review
1: look would be also helpful which pack you get if you listen to the show more <laughs> often So
2: look <pack laughs> is always nice but yeah I totally it's, get it's, that it's still a difference like people that can spend a lot and people who can, who can who can spend anything
0: yeah it's funny you say that I've been thinking about that recently around um, you know how important it's a good team over being a good player I think it plays a part but fundamentally, you know, and you used to use Tex as an example. And, and obviously he is like elite, elite. He's a generation-defining mm-hmm. player. But it just goes to show that really it comes down to your technical ability over over players. But if you're competing at that level, you want to go into a game knowing that you've got a team that's on par because I think psychologically it makes a big difference. And, and don't get me wrong, when you're looking at the high-end high, high end game, players in games, they do make a difference. Um, but really, it's about how you use them. And that's where I think the investment in coaching analysis, um, you know, and all the support that players can get makes makes a big difference.
2: Um, yeah, players say important. Like for E-Nations, we have a draft system. So we can choose three players. All Like of all players, we can choose three. Then we get guaranteed. Like we always take Mbappe, Hewlett, Arnein. And... Out of all the divisions, of out all the teams, everyone shows those three because they are so strong. Yeah. So it's it's always important what players you have. It's not always mentally, but just no one is on the level of an Mbappe up top, yeah. for example.
0: Can I, can I ask you a question about um, away from this and more around what you see in terms of E-Nation players, right? So when you have two players playing on the same team, um, what do you see as a really an important attribute between two players playing together. There's something that makes a big difference.
1: You should mention that uh, E-Nations is 100% of the time co-op. So it's always two versus two.
2: It's always two v two. In the past, we only could select three players. But last year, this year, we were allowed to take four players. So we made use of that to only work in dedicated duels. So we're not switching them around. Um, for me, one of the most important things is just communication. Um, that's where we struggled in the past uh, because we have the language barrier okay. at first um, but also my players were a little bit stubborn as in the part of um, oh we both know the game, we know what the other one is going to do <laughs> but then I see a corner and one is coming short and the other one is go- giving it long and it goes against it the, the player is coming short and goes out and they're like oh yeah that happened but if you just talk about it you knew that he was coming short, <laughs> so I think communication is is important at first, but you kind of need synergy as well. Like how all my duels are working right now is like I have the main player, and I have like a support player playing around him. Like for me, Rudy is my main man. He is the one doing Trivellas, the the Akas, uh, all the skill moves, and Keanu is just the one making the run on the line passing the ball to Rudy Rudy is doing his, his things and tries to score the goal but we have just a support player that doesn't need to shine next to our player that wants to shine and can shine uh, we don't need two guys who are constantly willing to be the man like in our academy I sometimes notice that I make my duels randomly just in the beginning of today I say you and you are going to play together let's see how that goes but then sometimes they both want to be the one making the difference. But then they struggle because they don't go for the extra pass or they, um, they don't do what's, what they expect to do.
1: This is a fun <laughs> part of E-Nation's analyzing. <laughs> and for everyone listening, we've seen a lot of where if we look dedicated to these teams, two versus two, we sometimes, when we look at Belgium, just take an example here. Is the supporting player sometimes even doesn't take a good shot because he knows he's in the support role. So sometimes, although 99% of the time it's the good thing, we also have to teach players to to be a little bit more upcoming for themselves, which is something you don't see ever, of course, in one versus one play or definitely on defending crosses, that's the topic we've been talking about a lot, Michael, is we see in every E-Nation team, everyone that plays two versus two, there's a lot of options to score from corners because defending corners when with two players that think alike is actually pretty hard to do. So you have to make good communication, good agreements on doing that. It's really interesting to see. And I think there's many options to exploit that as well when you're in a competitive scene. I think Michael's squad has shown that this year as well, that... Um, they have to be working on that, Michael, right?
2: Yeah, like we have a lot of play styles as well. We have like one duo. They only play on, on crosses. Like they they, if they can choose, they play Ebro up top with no backhost <laughs> and they will sub and crouch, for example, and they will take some wingers that can whip in a ball and they only play that. And then there's where we notice the problem. That supporting player is not playing his style because he knows, oh, I need to cross. Oh, my partner wants to cross. So even if he's in a good position to shoot or make an action, he's still going to cross to the second post because that's what the other guy wants. Um, so that's why they were in the first selection of the E-Nations, but they weren't in the second and the third. That's one of the things we'll look at as well. Um, but that that supporting player could be a, a main player as well, but he's just pushed away in a support role right now.
0: How do the players react to being told that they're a main player or a support player? Is is do you have to kind of like massage some egos there at that point? Is that is that difficult, or do they understand? They already know.
2: They already know before they trial for the selection because I, I didn't make the duels. I just said like this is the selection. Like we're doing a selection tournament. Everyone can apply. So if you're an amateur, you need to go through, um, or academy and a longer way to the e-devils and then everyone i think this year i had a requirement set at at least two fgs or fgs and e-champions league so every player that was eligible for that could already try out for e-devil and they need to bring their own duo so everyone came with a duo partner that they were like familiar with already tried in rivals or maybe tried last year so, I didn't force them into their duels. So, they made it like themselves a bit.
0: I think it's a really important part of playing. I've been playing a lot of co op recently with a friend who's relatively new to uh, the Ultimate Team. And uh, we assume those roles naturally because I've got more experience than him. But what we found is the fact that we both leave our ego at the door and, and, and take on those roles subconsciously just really works. Um, and, and also the communication is really important as well plus obviously we kind of talk about our games after what do we do what do we not do you know and it was interesting him giving feedback to me because I think I did have a bit of an arrogance around I'm a better player than you I don't need feedback but what I was missing was actually I've got to play for you and he was saying when you're playing all, all your runs you're just running forward that I can't pass to you I need you to run to the side so I, there's, a, there's a pass option and I, I, it took me ages to actually absorb that feedback. I was like, no, 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 I'm better than that. <laughs> and then when, I, when, I, when I actually recorded some of our games and I looked and I was like, okay, yeah, I hear you. And then that's something that now I, I kind of and adapt and our play style just really complements each other. So it's interesting to hear that same approach happens in, in your setup, but also how important it is. And I think the roles is a big bit. Um, and yeah, no, I, I really like it. It's a good setup.
1: Aaron, question for you leaving your ego at the door, is that why you don't play co-op with me anymore?
0: Uh, Well, you're the one with the bigger (laughs) ego, to be honest. Exactly. (laughs) These fancy tricks, you know. I also, I know my approach to playing (laughs) co-op is I don't have the mic on. I like to just, I can't play talking. It sounds really odd, but I actually just put, like you talked about, Michael, about synergy. I just prefer to just react to what's happening, and I think when you have a synergy, you don't need to talk. Because so I think anyone talk and you distract from what you're playing. Yeah,
1: so that, actually, that's we, something I disagree in hardly. So that's why we never play anymore. Yeah,
0: yeah, because you, you talk and tell me, and then I'm I'm am distracted, and then I and it, it just doesn't work. I think you. Uh, I like the rhythm of no talk and yeah, just. Yeah, I don't like, like,
2: like too much talking as well. Like my players said, yeah, we're not talking about every pass, but like for me, it's important that we talk like at a throw-in or at a corner kick at least or if you just just see something like in one of the games last week we one of our guys went solo on goal and on the second post someone was coming in and the guys behind me were shouting oh second post and he crossed the second post and we scored so then we talked but otherwise we i just let them play <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, it's good, and it's interesting again. It hearing you talk about the investment and the practice that you guys put into it as well. It just goes to show that you, if you put that investment in and you understand each other's game and you develop game plans, you know certain types of players crosses or, or however they want to play, it just really works together. I think it's the first time I've heard somebody talk around in detail the organization that they have in place. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, very impressive. In terms of, I guess, like the, the game in it in itself, what would you like to see? EA do next to kind of really elevate um what what esports looks like at the moment.
2: I think we just need to go back to the LAN events we had in the past. Like I I helped Stefano a lot in the past, but every FGS that we played was to go somewhere. Like we qualified for Atlanta, we were like, wow, we're going to America just to play FIFA because we won or we were like top 32 in that tournament. But now everyone is playing from home, and you can win an FGS from home and 10,000 euros from home. But the excitement to go somewhere to play a LAN tournament against the best people, being there for like five days, have a media day, um, all that stuff, that's what my players are missing. Like I have Rudi for example, he's playing now two years on the highest level. Last two weeks ago he went for the first time to an offline event and that was e Champions League. But before that he didn't have any events because he didn't qualify for the World Cup. But we need more those tournaments back, and I think that will hype it up for the, the fans as well. Be- because now no one is interested in FGS because all the pro players are streaming it without webcam and without sound. <laughs> so you don't get any and reactions.
0: And, that, and that, that's, to be fair, I think that's a big part of it. And it's like watching real life sport. I think you're seeing the reactions of the players and the energy that a crowd can also bring to an event as well. It offers a different dynamic of playing in a situation like that as well. Um, I think that's what's really exciting about it. When I've watched events that were live, the LAN events, that kind of got me kind of really hyped up. I was like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to watch this because it's, it, it, it's just good. And I wonder if that could lead to in the future, like small stadium events um, where you have a, a good crowd there watching live. I just think it would be, I feel like it, we're, re- we're ready for that. I really do. And I feel like there's a high caliber of players across the world. But I, I, if I'm honest, I think, you know, not to take away from the UK players, I, I truly believe that the European players that I've seen have a consistent level. And you can, I think it's a reflection of the investment and the professional structure that exists around them. And I wouldn't be surprised to see someone either from, you know, uh, your um, federation or from the eDiviz go on and do really, really well. Um, and I think that's again, if I look across the UK and Europe, um, and it's sad that we can't talk about them in the same breath. But I just think the UK, I just think we are a little bit behind in terms of the professionalism that sits around it. And there some fantastic esports organisations. Don't get me wrong, and I'm sure their investment is there. But I don't, I, don't, I feel it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a couple that do it well not consistently and I think if we did it consistently you get more players coming through you'd have more people connecting with a team whether it be a professional club or something and I think that's what then you know gets better engagement um, overall so uh, I'd I love to see a, a live event soon hopefully you get one next year so I think it would be uh, get defining for the for the game
2: yeah, I think England, they made a the mistake to give Tex a few years of a contract within the federation to play for England. Because for us, we are selecting every time that we have to play new players or give everyone the chance to qualify. And whoever is the best at that moment will play for us. But if your players are under contract for you for like two, three years, and they have to play, even if they're not on form or not having the best year, It will just set your level a little bit down and it always demotivates everyone underneath. Like for me, I have people training 2v2 at this point. They probably won't get selected, but they're still training because they know that they have a shot at E-Nations. So they're training and trying. I love Um, that. That's great. But Europe is harder. Um, I think in Europe, (laughs) we have the most spots... For e-Nations, we have the most spots for playoffs, everything like that. But it's just hard competition. Like there's so many good teams. If you look at groups in like for example, I always take Morocco last year. I think they played six or seven games and they were at the e-Nations. We played almost sixty games and we didn't qualify for wow. e-Nations. Wow. Morocco went above us in the ranking for e-nations and they played less games than us in the year. <laughs> So it's just region bound sometimes as well, if you have it easier or not.
1: Yeah. And it's also hard that because of the distances between some of the countries uh, and the server range, it's also Mm -hmm. a little bit unfair, but I'm not going to go into too much detail (laughs) tonight about that, but I've seen some examples, which were pretty obvious that some teams have a big, big advantage. On where they can play from let's put it like this uh we are uh almost at the end of the show so i got dozens of questions for you uh but we can't answer them. so i'm gonna ask you back if that's all right Sometime, but i wanted to know one thing still ea sports fc is coming next year is that a good or a bad thing for fifa esports and for you
2: i think it's hmm, for me i don't know but i think in generally it's a good thing as in um I think they will give it a new kind of vibe, as in they will probably do new events, do new tournaments. Um I don't know what's what's going to be new. Uh, we hope hopefully we get some info soon about it. But I think it's going to be a fresh new start for a game that we need because I think FIFA has been the same for as long as I can remember. Like since 2015, 16 has always been the same kind of vibe with for champions and all that stuff. So I hope that with the new game, that changes. I hope land event changes. For myself, I don't know where it's going because FIFA E-Nations is a FIFA competition. So that's run by FIFA. And they keep saying that they will have a game for next year and then we will have a FIFA E-Nations next year. Well, but- maybe not
1: by EA, but by... A mobile version, so. <laughs> well, yeah, oh, yeah. But the
2: question, the question is, what game will it be? Uh, what do we have to play for E Nations next year? Um, because we all, I'm also responsible for Pro Evolution Soccer, <laughs> and um, as everyone know, it's still a change to e football. But I'm I'm responsible for that. But if I organize a tournament in Belgium, there are only four people coming to play. <laughs> um, so that's not popular right now. But if FIFA is going with eFootball, for example, how are we going to participate in that or not? Is EA going to do uh, eNations EA-wise? And can we participate in that? Um, that's all questions that we have and we hope to have like really soon some answers. But that depends a lot for my job as well. Like, okay, we have grassroots, we have an academy and, or a national team. But if there's no national competition, I don't need academy and I don't need uh, the e-devils. Um, Definitely so, something we
1: need to follow up on when we have some more info
2: coming. FIFA promised that there will be a competition. Like I think every federation that's highly invested in esports had some questions about it. Like we had a meeting last Tuesday about e-nations. They said, "Yeah, there will be an e-nations, but more info will s- follow soon." Let's see where that's going. Like That's a very interesting topic for the future as well for us. Definitely. Good
1: cliffhanger for the next show. Michael, thank you so much for being here. Aaron as well. Good to see you again. There's just one thing left for us to do, and that is to drop it. Drop it. Drop,
0: drop it. Drop it. Drop it. You. Yeah. Yeah.